What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that the hymn that we just heard is true. It speaks of you as the God of great goodness, the God of great love. Lord, this morning as we open the book of Ruth, we pray that you would again impress upon our hearts the goodness of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap was the light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Eli Melech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Now, two and a half years ago, we started out on a journey to learn about these two women in the Bible who had books of the Bible that were dedicated to their history and were named after them. And so in our first phase of this journey, we studied the book of Esther. And we discovered that in Esther, we found a brave Jewish woman who trusted God so much that God gave her the power to venture all alone into a foreign world, a non-Jewish world. And we saw in that history clearly how Esther, as a Jewess, bravely entered into this foreign, non-Jewish world of the palace of the Persian king Ahasuerus. And when we walked with Esther into that palace for the first time, we were afraid with her, we were afraid for her. But we saw that Esther never let go of God. She kept her hold on God. And with God, she was not only able to stand and survive within that palace, but she was able to save the lives of all the Jewish people because she stood alone. And when Esther saved the Jewish people, 
She saved the people that would deliver to the world the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we came to the end of the book of Esther, and we saw how God had greatly exalted her for her bravery in standing alone in Persia in this foreign Persian world. Then we moved in our next phase in this journey to discover the second woman to have a history in the Bible dedicated to her to have a book named after a book of Ruth where we are right now. And we've been studying the history of Ruth and we found to our amazement that Ruth has the same bravery that Esther had. You see, like Esther, who with God was brave to enter into this foreign world and stand alone for God, we found that Ruth also with God was brave and she enters into a foreign world and stands alone for God. Only with Esther, she was a Jewess entering into what for her was a foreign non-Jewish world, the palace of Persia, but here with Ruth, it's reversed. And what we see here is the exact same thing, is that she's now entered, but she's now entering into a world of, um, I was wondering where I lost my place. <laughs> it's reversed. Because Ruth the Moabitess, she's entering into what was for her a foreign Jewish world of Bethlehem. So just as Esther entered into her foreign non-Jewish world alone and stood for God, Ruth now enters into her foreign Jewish world alone and stands for God. But just as Esther preserved the line which gave the Messiah, so Ruth is going to preserve the line of the Messiah because she herself is going to become one of those links in the line that will deliver the Messiah. So just as Esther was in the end, she was exalted in the palace of Persia, so Ruth is going to be exalted by marrying Boaz, be highly exalted. And we can just imagine, you think about this thing, you know, you just imagine Esther and Ruth and they're sitting down there together in heaven and they're talking and, and they're laughing together and we could sort of listen into them and we could say, you see how we can hear Esther, she's speaking to Ruth and she says, Ruth, she looks at Ruth, she says, Ruth, my dear Gentile Moabitess sister, she says in the Lord, she says, do you know how I was able to stand alone for God in a foreign world? And your Gentile world was foreign to me. And I ended up marrying a Gentile husband, King Ahasuerus. And then we can hear Ruth, she's laughing. And she says to Esther, she says, well, Esther, my dear Jewish sister in the Lord. Esther, that's your name. <laughs> that's your thing. And there's her sister in the Lord. Did you know that I was also able to stand in the exact same strength in the grace of God, only it was reversed? I stood alone for God in a foreign world, which was your Jewish world. And let me tell you, my dear sister Esther, she would say, this little Gentile Moabitess in your Jewish world, was it was pretty foreign to me. And I ended up getting married to a Jewish husband, Boaz. And so together they would say, and we had no idea that a book of remembrance would be written about our histories, would you believe it? And then we could see them laughing and picking up a Bible and saying, and here they are, our book of remembrances. One's called the book of Esther, the other's called the book of Ruth. And you and I have no idea this morning that a book of remembrance is being written right now about our histories as believers, especially when we speak to each other as believers. Because that's what it says in Malachi 3.16, where it says, and they that feared the Lord, they spake often one to another, 
And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. But when we look at Ruth, we see ourselves, because we see in Ruth this stranger, this Moabite woman, who falls into a great distress in her life. She loses everything. She loses her husband. She loses prospect for a family, everything. She loses money, wealth. She's poor, and she's driven in this distress, and she embraces Jehovah Jesus as the God of Israel. In the same way, we fell into a great distress in our lives, and it's in that distress that drove us to embrace Jehovah Jesus, just like Ruth did. And we'll see how Ruth came to Boaz, who is going to end up redeeming her, And we'll see how amazing it will be when we see Boaz, who looks at her, and he doesn't despise her low condition. That's going to be the amazing thing here. He doesn't despise her as a Moabitess. He doesn't say, well, you're a Moabitess, you're poor. No. We'll see, because what we see is that in Boaz, we see our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who also didn't despise us in our sinfulness. We just, like the song just was talking about it, he plumbed the depths of our disgrace and he didn't despise our ignorance of God. And he decided to marry Ruth. And, you know, there must have been a lot of luncheons for Boaz, you know, with hopeful mothers showing off. You've seen my daughter. She's nice, you know. But do you like her? And you know, choose one of them, you know. But instead, he chooses Ruth, a stranger who lacks possessions. She lacks position. She's not even Jewish. And he chooses her for the bride. That's us. And as we can't help but think of ourselves and how the Lord Jesus Christ reached out his hand down to us for our salvation, we just see it all with Boaz and Ruth. And we'll see how Ruth refers to herself when she goes to speak to Boaz as the undeserving one. The undeserving one. And we won't be able to not think of ourselves as we think of us and the Lord Jesus Christ. We say we're so undeserving. We're so undeserving of the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take time and we stop and we look back at what happened to Ruth, we see clearly that Ruth never, ever would have become the bride of Boaz had Ruth not done one thing or several things first. First, she had to leave her parents. Second, she had to give up her people. She had to give up her home. She had to give up her country, her family, all of that. And we think, for some of us, especially Jewish believers, it comes down to that. That never become a part of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ had some of us not, like Ruth, left our parents, our people, given up our home, our family. And then if you ask Ruth, and you said to Ruth, Ruth, was it really worth it? You gave up so much. You gave up all that. Was it really worth it to leave your parents and to give up your family and your people and your home without any hesitation? Ruth, especially now, she'd reply, worth it? You bet it was. I'd do it 100 times. Look at what I gained. I'm no fool to give up what I cannot keep in order to gain what I cannot afford to lose. She would talk like that. And as we think of Ruth's reply, we can see ourselves with the same statement. We say, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold. Now, we start today in verse 4, where it says, And behold, Boaz came 
from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. So let's start with this first part of this verse four, where it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He says to the reapers. See, our passage starts with with this word, and behold, Boaz came. See the words, and behold, Boaz came. It opens for us a new scene. And in this scene, we have to paint a picture. We have to see it. And behold, Boaz came. So we have to see, what is the scene that's being painted before us? And so in our minds, we'll put this together. So we had a scene here. So what do we see? What do we hear in the scene? We hear the swishing sound of these sickles from these reapers cutting down the grain in the field. And we see a line of men spaced out evenly, swinging those sickles, moving steadily across the field. We see the tall blades of grain fall to the ground as the men swing the sickles and they move on. And right behind those men, we see the line of women who are following the reapers and their binders, their their chief binders, they're binding what's been cut down. And we see those women, they're bent over and they're gathering up the grain and they're binding them in bundles and they're throwing them onto the carts. And right behind those women, these women who are really laborers, part of Boaz's company, we see behind them poor women who are the gleaners. And we see these poor women gleaners, and they're gathering up what has been missed, what has not been bound up by the women laborers. And we see those poor gleaners in the field of Boaz. And why do we see those poor women in in the fields of Boaz, because Boaz was a generous man. He, was, he allowed gleaners in his field. Not every, not every landowner did. Not every field had them. But we do not see those gleaners in those other fields because, as we said, some of them were stingy. They were stingy businessmen. And even though God had told them in the writings of Moses, he says, told them you should have them, some landowners, they made it difficult. They put thorns and so forth. And they just weren't there. They weren't appreciated. They didn't want him there. That's not the case with Boaz. Not the case with Boaz. He was a God-fearing man. He was a generous man because Boaz was experiencing in life what God promised would happen to him in Proverbs 11.24, where it says, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And for Boaz, you can color that man a scatterer. Color him a generous man, a scatterer. He loved to scatter. He loved to scatter what he had. You may think that scattering is it's only talking about wealth. You may think that. You may think that, that well, you got to be rich to scatter. But there's another richness which God is rich in and which he refers to himself when it says in Ephesians 2.4, but God who is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. See, rich in mercy, we can be rich, we are rich in mercy. And when we give out the gospel, see, in a scattering manner, we're showing mercy. As it says about the Gentiles who give the gospel out to the Jewish people in Romans eleven thirty-one, where it said, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. See, Boaz was a rich man in mercy, and he was scattering to the poor, and so there were gleaners there in the field of Boaz. And just think of God in heaven. Just think of God in heaven for a moment here. He's looking down. You know, you've been in a plane, and you've flown over the Midwest, and you look down, you see all those fields down there. Well, God sees those things too. And he sees that, 
He sees that he looks at one field after the other, and he says, yep, they all got the first line of reapers. I see them all. There's, there's their first line of reapers. There they are. And there's their sickles. And then he said, yep, there's those second line of sheaf binders. They all have the second line. They all have the first line. They all have the second line of the sheaf binders. But God looks down and he says, they don't all have the third line. They don't all have the third line of the poor gleaners. And when God saw the field of Boaz, you can imagine God saying to his angels, look, do you see what I see there? Do you see what I see? You see that third line of poor gleaners in the fields of Boaz there? That's my son. That's Boaz. He's acting just like me. I'm pleased with Boaz. He's Let's make him increase. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. Now this question comes to us, what does God see when he looks on our fields? What does he look see when he looks down on our fields? Does he see us having the third line of the poor gleaners that we're giving to? Now we say, well, I don't have any fields of grain, so that lets me off the hook. I don't have to worry about that. But Boaz was the kind of giver that's described in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where it says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, but of, as of necessity, like, oh, I gotta do it. But God, for God loveth a cheerful or a hilarious giver, really happy. And Boaz looked and he said, I have a grain of field, so I can give to the poor by allowing them, I mean, and invite the poor gleaners to come to my field. And he was so happy to do that. That's Boaz. Well, we don't have poor gleaners, but we do have the lost around us. We have the lost around us. And without the Lord Jesus Christ, they're poor. Doesn't matter how much money they have, they're poor without the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz was a busy man, but he turned around from the busyness in his life to see and care for the poor. And the question is, do we turn around? Do we turn around and look at a lost person and say to ourselves, this person is poor. I don't care how much money is in his bank account. He's poor because he's not saved, because he's not a child of God. I'm going to turn around from the busyness of my life and give to this poor person, this poor gleaner. I'm going to give to him the gospel. Or does God see our fields with just two lines? I'm just caring for myself. I, just, I have a lot of my own needs to take care of, and I, don't, I can't be concerned for other people. I can't be concerned for poor people who are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel who are without God in this world. That's, that's poverty. That's spiritual poverty. To be an alien from the commonwealth of Israel and without God in this world, that's poverty. As God looked down and says, he only cares about providing for the needs of himself or his own family. He's not like Boaz. He's not concerned about the family of God. We don't have a field of grain that we can invite the poor to come and glean in, but we do have homes. We have homes that we can invite the lost to. Does God see our fields as having a third line of poor gleaners who are coming into our homes? Because we have opened our homes by hospitality, by purposefully inviting the lost to come to our homes so that we can show them that we love them, that we care about them. You know, the gospel is an invitation to come in out of the cold, be adopted into the family of God, enjoy the sanctuary of God's presence and the warmth of God's love and the protection of God. I mean, think about that. Isn't that what our homes are? Aren't our homes, don't, don't we have homes that are sanctuaries of love from the cruel world outside? 
Don't we have homes that are places of warmth where our family members know that they're accepted and loved because they're in the home? Isn't our homes a place where we feel protected and safe and secure? Aren't those the same messages when we're inviting people to come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that the same message? Aren't we inviting the lost to come to God as a sanctuary from the devil who hates them? Aren't we inviting the lost to the warmth of God's the John 3.16 love? Aren't we inviting the lost to come and be protected, to be saved, to be kept secure? So to send those messages, we can invite the lost into our homes. Isn't our home the best place to make a parable of that? Isn't our homes the best place to bring the lost into? Does God look down from heaven? Does he see this third line of gleaners in the form of the lost sitting at our tables at home, eating with us so that we can invite them by just our homes to come to God. If there's no third line of poor gleaners in our field, the good news is we can change that. We can change that. We can make a third line of poor gleaners. This week, and I challenge you with this, this week, why not call a lost person, invite them into the warmth, into the love, into the security, into the protection of our home to have a meal with our family? Why not? So you can tell him just by just being there about the warmth, the love, security, protection of becoming a part of the family of God by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm not good at presenting the gospel. I didn't take evangelism explosion, or I, I didn't explode with evangelism. <laughs> and, and I'm not good at presenting the gospel. That's okay. That's okay. Just by having a lost person in your home and letting them Letting them feel, letting them be a part of the warmth, the love, the security, the protection of your home that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided for you, that's a strong gospel message to the lost that you invite into your home. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. Just that you have dedicated your home and your meal table to the Lord Jesus Christ, just that you pray before you eat, that's a strong gospel message. And the lost see that if you're willing to open your home. I remember before I was saved how a Christian couple in Cincinnati from Landmark Baptist Church visited our home in Cincinnati before I was saved. And I can still see them now in my mind. I can still see them now. Husband and wife sat on our couch, and there we were, my wife saved, sitting with me, and there I was as lost as I could be. And this Christian couple came to our house to bring the gospel. And you know what their message was? Their message, they didn't really explain the gospel, they just simply said this, we just came here to tell you that your wife is going to heaven and you're going to hell. <laughs> that's it, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and that's, that's all we wanna say. Now that's not exactly what I would call a clear gospel invitation. <laughs> you know? But you know, God used that. God used that that day because there was something I could not get out of my mind and it was not the message that Cheryl was going to heaven and I was going to hell. But what I couldn't get out of my mind was how united this couple was in their devotion to God and in their love for each other. I mean, I watched them as one opened the door for, you know, the husband opens the door for the wife and they sit down and watching, caring for, and I still remember now how they looked at each other. And I, and I remember now how they cared for each other. And I remember now how they took time to visit us and how important whatever message they were bringing it was, but how united they were in what they believed. Their words were not powerful, 
but who they were and how they cared for each other was a very powerful message. I couldn't shake it off. And what they were and how they cared for each other, for me, spoke louder than their words. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.